Great. Well, let's uh, let's plan ahead. Um, anyone anyone who doesn't know Peter Stott, strategic scientific strategic head for climate monitoring and attribution at the Met Office Hadley Centre, and one of the scientists I think it's fair to say who's taught us more about the way that the world is warming and the signs of those warming and what's responsible than than, uh, than many others. So, Peter. Thank you, thank you very much for that introduction. And so being a scientist, really, I decided that if I was going to do a PowerPoint, it would turn into a scientific presentation. And I was told that I shouldn't do that. So I, I've taken the liberty of just um, making some remarks here around some of the challenges of communicating science. And um, it's been a very interesting day so far with a lot of challenging and interesting comments made about, about the way that we we, you know, we do things. Um, so to just give me a little bit of background about myself, I, I lead the climate monitoring attribution team at the Met Office Hadley Centre. So we're responsible for, among other things, the HADQT global temperature data set compiled with the University of East Anglia. I'm also working as the coordinating lead author of the ABCC chapter in the fifth assessment report on detection attribution. Um, and um, of course, as well as that, you know, I'm interested in communicating the results of the research that we do uh, in our group around, uh, um, uh, specifically around both development of observational data sets and, and, and development of the attribution. So that's really where I'm coming from as a scientist, wanting to um, talk about our work that I, I wish to attempt to be uh, consistent with and true to the science that we're doing. So this refers to the complexity issue that's, that's come up before. Um, and as an example of this, which brings in the whole issue of, of the challenges of communicating risk and uncertainty, I thought I'd read a few lines from an abstract of a paper that I published with Miles Allen um, uh, and Dahi Stone from Oxford around these, this whole subject of, of attribution of uh, climate change and attribution of extreme weather. Um, so, uh, the summer of 2003 was probably the hottest in Europe since at least AD 1500, and unusually large numbers of heat-related deaths were reported in France, Germany and Italy. It is an ill-posed question whether the 2003 heatwave was caused in a simple deterministic sense by a modification of the external influences on climate, for example, increasing concentrations of greenhouse gases um, in the atmosphere, because almost any such weather event might have occurred by chance in an unmodified climate. However, it is possible to estimate by how much human activities may have increased the risk of the occurrence of such a heat wave, here we use this conceptual framework to estimate the contribution of human-induced increases in atmospheric concentrations of greenhouse gases and other pollutants to the risk of the occurrence of unusually high mean summer temperatures throughout a large region of continental Europe. Using a threshold for mean summer temperatures that was exceeded in 2003, but in no other year since the start of the instrumental record in 1851, we estimate it is very likely confidence level greater than 90% that human influence has at least doubled the risk of a heat wave 
exceeding this threshold magnitude. Now, I wanted just to, to sort of start with that because that, that basically is when we, 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 we then communicated that paper. And that paper has been a paper that has had a lot of, uh, had a lot of media interest when it was first released had a lot of policy interest because of the implications. And I continue to draw on that uh, work as we develop this research. Uh, and, um, you know, we've already had reference to, to work looking at uh, flooding, for example. Um, excuse me. So, um, the, um, so one of the, the challenges in communicating that, of course, is that First of all, this is a probabilistic statement. Um, and we have a risk-based approach, but of course we've got the uncertainties. We're seeking to quantify the uncertainties in that. And interestingly, it's easier to quantify the lower limits than the upper limits in such risk-based estimates. Um, and in this case, it's related around the difficulties of estimating the probability of very rare events and extrapolating into the tails of distributions. So the robust conclusion from that work was that it was very likely that the risk had more than doubled. So it's easier to put a, 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 it's easier to put a robust bound on the lower limit than the upper limit. Um, and indeed, when we think about, you know, when we think about the work that we're doing with the IPCC, and we, I would say that 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 calibrated language from the scientific point of view has been helpful to us as IPCC authors because it has helped us to quantify and make consistent across the report um, the extent of confidence we have in statements. And that does actually relate to what David was saying earlier about this framing um, because what we're attempting to do when we make statements such as, you know, it's very likely that most of the warming observed since the 1950s is attributable to greenhouse gases. What we're doing there is making an assessment about the, the chances that that statement is incorrect. And therefore, that's why it's helpful to frame it in that way from the scientific perspective, because we're trying to quantify how, um, how much confidence we can have in that statement. Um, so the way, the way that, but the way I try to communicate, and when I think it works best when you try to communicate uh, scientific results, um, is to make clear what, what is known versus what is uncertain. So I think the first thing to do, and when I think it's more, most successful as scientists when we communicate, is when we first of all make what is clear and what is well understood. And that, to some extent, can fall back to some extent on climate, you know, 101, the, the, the referring back to, um, to some extent, to what Chris was saying about what is well understood about the energy imbalance of the planet, uh, the fact that the, the warm, not just warming has been observed, but other indicators of climate um, consistent with the warming world, increases of atmospheric moisture vapour, uh, the oceans warming up, large-scale changes in, in rainfall patterns. Um, and along with that, we are seeing changes in extreme weather. And there is a large confidence in that. And we're seeing the, uh, the, the fingerprint of human influence uh, coming through. But then when you, when you then talk about... Um, but then you have to go on to talk about the regional details, and this is where things become more uncertain. Um, 
And again, this comes about, things become more uncertain when we're talking about the link between climate change and extreme weather events. So there is much more robust results around temperature-related large-scale temperatures we showed with the European uh, summer temperatures of 2003 than there are, for example, with uh, floods in Pakistan, for example, the, the, the 2010 Pakistan flood event, where there the science was much more uncertain because it was related to issues around um, circulation, atmospheric circulation, how they, that might be impacted by human influence. So I think where... What, what as scientists I think we have to do is to, is to, when we do go before the media, and I think what, what can work well, is to have a clear message around what is well understood and what there is strong confidence around. But then, um, of course, what is interesting to us as scientists and where we come to the frontiers of science is where the uncertainties often come in. Um, and, and then, of course, then we need to talk about the complexity uh, of the issues. Um, so, um, um, the, in terms of dealing with, with policy makers at the Met Office Hadley Centre, I mean, there we're in quite a fortunate position in the fact we have got a, um, we are funded to do policy relevant, but not policy prescriptive science. And that, I think, is, is very important to scientists, that we are there to do the policy relevant stuff and it's sort of inculcated into us, really, in the Met Office Hadley Centre. Um, it is not our job to tell people what to do, and we've already touched on this issue before, but it is, it is our job to provide that policy-relevant perspective. Uh, and therefore, we, within the Met Office Hadley Centre, we have an explicit pro process through a knowledge integration team of drawing out uh, for the policymakers the, the, the policy-relevant information and again, it follows this model of, of what is known robustly and where do the uncertainties come in and why is this relevant to, to policymakers and policy issues um, so that the policymakers know where they need to pay attention to the new science that's coming through. Um, so, um, but again, it comes back to this, um, I think in terms of, of my experience with dealing with the media and how media does needs to respond, I think as scientists we do need the space and the opportunity to um, both state clearly what is known and what there is strong confidence in and where the complexity comes in. And so as an example of this, um, I did a briefing with Tom Sheldon at the Science Media Centre in, in early 2010. Uh, and this, of course, was, was quite a, a difficult, a challenging time for us as climate scientists as it followed on from the, the emails release in late 2009. Um, and we, we did a briefing there, not in a defensive mode, but because we had some new science to report. We'd written a review paper which drew, drew together um, in a review paper, a lot of the new evidence around climate change and the extent to which this was consistent with an emerging uh, fingerprint or the fingerprint had emerged of human influence in many different aspects of the climate system. And what was very interesting about that for me was that that was a, a really good opportunity to discuss with journalists some of this complexity. So people were now interested. I remember talking with David Shuckman at that meeting in some detail about how you could distinguish the effects of greenhouse gases on the climate system from the effects from solar influence on climate system. 
and it's related to the differential patterns in the troposphere and stratosphere uh, and the different ways that the atmosphere uh, responds. So this is where, in order to communicate, um, you know, we, we, need to, we need to get into the complexity. But it's a very refreshing to have that opportunity to do that. And I think where, for me personally as a scientist, I think it works better is when we have uh, the, the opportunity and the scope to do that. So short sand bites um, being, um, being ambushed or whatever um, can, be very, can be very difficult and very unsatisfactory, but where there is a true conversation uh, between the, the scientist and the journalist to understand that background and then work in partnership to communicate that, I think that works much better. So I had sort of three points uh, just, to, just to finish on then in terms of the, um, again, this, this, this opportunity to explain the complexity. And as a scientist, we want to remain true to the science that we've done. Uh, and that is really, really important to us that we don't stray away from that. Uh, and again, this point about being policy relevant but not policy prescriptive. It's not our job to tell people what to do. Uh, they have to make their decisions based on our evidence. Um, there is a distinction uh, in terms of the work that we do, I think, between the risks and the uncertainty. So we make estimates of these risks, as we did in the, in the 2003 heatwave paper, which is incidentally, I think, one of the things that really made that relevant to people was that we were relating what's happening now to what's happening in the future in terms of risk. So we were, we were saying that the warm summers in 2003 would become regular occurrences. Uh, will become regular occurrences if we carry on trajectory of uh, increasing greenhouse gases. So then people can relate and policymakers can relate what uh, is happening now to what could happen in the future. Um, and I think, as I say, if, if, if there's one model for me that works, that seems to work, it's about first of all saying what there is confidence in, and that may well be repeating, if you like, Climate 101. It may well be repeating not not saying what's new in your paper, but what is well known around global warming, that warming is happening, uh, and the links to, to anthropogenic influence. And then you come on to the new stuff, which is at the frontiers of knowledge, where there is complexity and where there is uncertainty. But I think as scientists, we need the space to be able to say that. Uh, and, and that's where working with, with um, you know, journalists that, that, that know the subject uh, and, and, and that, my experience of that has been very positive and that can work very well. So, thank you.